Hey guys, good to see everyone at church. Uh, I want to welcome those who are online. Thank you for joining us. Before we get started, I wanted to share something with you from my, from my heart. Um, you know, being a pastor or a leader in a church, um, there's a weight of expectation that you read about in Scripture. And if you know your Bible, you know that a little bit. Uh, there is a expectation of, of living a certain type of life and a life of example and holiness and righteousness. And that's what makes the life of a church leader different from many other positions. You know, when, uh, in, in our secular world, so to speak, where you work at, typically there is an expectation and a hope but uh, it's not connected to the anointing and the faithfulness of God, like in a church. And in a church, we have that, and, and we do our best to live like that. Um, having said that, I want to talk about Riley Anderson, our worship leader. Um, Riley's an amazing young man. I love him to death, and we love each other. And, uh, and he shared some things with me last week about some, uh, some decisions that he made that he knew were the wrong decisions so we talked about it and prayed about it, and we mutually agreed it was better for him to work on his soul. I think all of us can identify with that, right? Aren't there times when you have to work on your soul? Aren't there times when you have to do that? And all of us need to do that. And this, uh, I, to be honest with you, this is really an exciting thing because this is a young man who's turning to God with all of his heart. Heart. Glory to God. I've been telling him, I said, you know what? The devil thought he won this. He didn't win this at all. In fact, God is, is working in all of this, and his heart is just changing, and it's beautiful. So I, I recognize in our world, in the church world, there's a lot of negative examples. And I want you to know this is a good example of what this looks like. You know, Jesus was full of grace and truth. It's important that the church is also full of grace and truth, and we need to love people, and we need to speak truth into each other's lives. That's how we grow and mature in Christ Jesus. So um, I want you to, uh, first of all, I, was want, I want to say this also, we all need the grace of God, don't we? We all need the grace of God, and, uh, and, and truth is, you know, there's certain sins in our life we're just grateful that didn't go public, right? Aren't you glad of that? I'm glad of that myself. And we just all need the grace of God. That's the culture of Thorn Creek Church. That's who we are. We also, as church leaders, um, and my, starting with myself, I take my faithfulness, uh, what I do when nobody is looking incredibly seriously, incredibly serious. I take that faithfulness because I believe the faithfulness that you live out when nobody's looking pleases God. And, that, that, and God wants to bless that life. So I want to share with you a text from Riley. And you'll see him around here probably next week. And Riley, if you're watching right now online, we love you. Hello, I'm going to read your text here. Um, <clears throat> we've had so many positive conversations. I know you can't see it all on the screen, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, hey, Pastor Ruben, I am so thankful for Thorn Creek Church. The members are so full of love kindness, and are very supporting. I have enjoyed being a part of this wonderful God-inspired church. I personally am doing well. I feel that the Lord is moving in such a powerful and new way in my heart. Though it may seem like the enemy is winning, really, he has lost he takes what the enemy made for evil and he turns it for good. I've been able to see more clearly that God has a plan that is most definitely way bigger than we could ever dream or imagine. Like you said, God is working behind our back. Sometimes we don't even know it. So grateful for this breakthrough. Still figuring out plans for the future. Thank you, Pastor Ruben, for showing love and grace through this situation. You have a heart for Jesus, and it is so evident. Thank you as well for the staff, Nick, Jeremy, Zach, who have shown me the love of Christ and so much encouragement. Can't say enough how much I love all of you and everyone in the church. Let me say this again, guys. This is a praise the Lord moment. 
This is a prayer. His, this is not Riley's end. I can, God's going to continue to use Riley because we have a God who restores. That's what he does. But I'm telling you already, Riley 2.0 is going to be way better than Riley 1.0. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So he was already great, but I'm just excited about what's going to happen. I, I told him, I said, Riley, you, know, you need some time to just work on, work on your soul. And he's excited about that. I'm excited about it. Uh, we, we just went out to lunch just a couple of days ago or whatever. I mean, we just, you know, it's just really exciting. And, uh, and I told him, uh, we're going to have this continued relationship. So I'll be talking to Riley regularly. I'm going to call you Riley every morning, every morning. So, uh, no, uh, and uh, I told him already, Riley, I went in on 2.0. I said, maybe, you never know, we might be serving God together again. And he texted me, and his his response was, it would be a pleasure and an honor. So I just want you to know, this this has gone as best as it could possibly go. Praise the Lord when someone turns to God with a, compl- with, a, with a total dedication. So when you see him, yeah, I appreciate you putting your hands together. When you see him, just give him a Thorn Creek love and encouragement because we all need love and encouragement, don't we? And, uh, and, and Thorn Creek shines best, you know, when we, we love and encourage people. So, so keep him in prayer and, uh, and that'll be great. So let's pray. We'll jump into this message here. Thank you, God, for your good grace. Uh, Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Riley, Lord. We love him so much. And I pray you just continue to work in his heart according to your good pleasure. And uh, go before him in his future. And and, uh, Lord, if it's your will for him to come back one day, we accept that as well. So thank you, God, for your good grace. And and bless this message now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're kind of taking a little bit of an angle from um, the social media life that you see there's influencers and social media, and there's some smaller than some bigger, some micro, some macro. And uh, we're looking at people in the Bible that would be considered micro-influencers, people that we don't talk about a whole lot. You know, we, the, all the, the big guys get all the press, you know, Moses and David and the apostles and, you know, the major prophets. But not so much is shared about these guys who are behind the scenes. And I think we could learn a lot from these guys who are not as well known. So um, last week, and incidentally, let me just tell you this, your, your staff went on a road trip. We took Thorn Creek on the road, and the way this whole thing started is we have someone who lives in Amarillo, Texas, and uh, they came to know Jesus Christ through the ministry of Thorn Creek, and a gentleman there wanted to get baptized. So it was Pastor Jeremy's idea to go out to Amarillo to baptize this guy. It's, it's, we put the whole thing on video, so you'll see it here in the, in, in the future. But I wanted to share just a couple of pictures. It was so cool. So as we were driving down I-25, we stopped in Colorado Springs. And in Colorado Springs, there's a couple there who watch faithfully every single uh, week, Thorn Creek Church. Uh, uh, this, is, this is Jason and Kim, and uh, this, is, this is where they're at. We had breakfast with them, and it was so cool. On their car in Colorado Springs, they have a Thorn Creek auto decal on their car. How cool is that? I was just so moved. So I, I got to spend time with them, and it was beautiful time, and we got, we got their testimony as well. In fact, Kim is one of our Hosts. She serves. She volunteers online at the Thorn Creek uh, at the Thorn Creek site. So way, way cool. So we continued going down to Amarillo, and uh, we uh, Pastor Jeremy got to baptize uh, Bruce or or Bo, as, as as some friends call him. But it was a really really special special thing. He said it was the best day of his life. That's what he said. It was the best day of his life. He sent me a video of him in his car on the way to work. And he, he like recorded himself singing a worship song. And it's just to me. And, and his, his voice is like as bad as mine. He can't sing at all. And he's singing this worship song and I'm just smiling. And then he says, hey, Pastor Ruben, God loves you. Just wanted to say hello. Thank you for coming out. Just there's something incredibly sweet when uh, Jesus gets a hold of a heart. When Jesus changes a heart, Jesus changes it. He's still in the business of changing lives. Jesus still changes lives. Glory to God. Well, 
<laughs> Bruce, uh, he accepted Jesus and he got baptized and it was a cool thing and I see that. And, you know, unfortunately, the church doesn't always represent love, grace, and truth, unfortunately. There's, you see things like church splits and division and revolts and this kind of thing. Uh, I want to ask you a question. We're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 16, but I want to ask you a question. What do you do when you are not satisfied with leadership? What do you do when you're not satisfied with leadership? Now, let's just think about school for a little bit. Let's say the school's doing something, and, and it's not necessarily a moral issue, but it's just something that's happening at school that you don't like. How do you handle that? You contact other teachers or, or parents and, and let them know how you feel. Do you post something on social media? I mean, what do you do when you're not happy with the leadership? Or how about work? When the boss does something that you don't appreciate, what do you do? Do you talk to your coworkers and let them know how you really feel? Do you, do you send stuff out to your friends and say, hey, this is happening? Do you go into the boss's office and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm not happy with this? I mean, what do you do when, 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 when you're not happy with the things, way things are going? How about the church? What do you do when you're not satisfied with church? Did you know there's a statistic, this is church-wide across denominations, there's a statistic that says there's going to be at least 10% of people every single weekend that are dissatisfied at church. For some reason, at least 10%. We could baptize 10 people every single weekend or 100 people every weekend, and there's still going to be people that are going to be dissatisfied about something. So what do you do when that happens? Do you just leave the church? Do you tell other people at church this is what's happening? Do you go to the pastor or the leader or whatever it is? How do you handle it when you are not happy with a situation? I, this is so embarrassing. Uh, when I was uh, in Colorado Springs, I remember just moved to Colorado, and the weather forecast guy would come out and talk about the weather and, and all this stuff. And I just started, real. there was a pattern. I started realizing this guy can't predict the Colorado weather. I mean, every time he says it's going to rain, there's sunshine. And every time he says it's going to be hot, it snows. I mean, it was just like that. And, and I decided to call the weatherman. Yeah, it's not, I'm not very proud of this at all. I'll just tell you that. I called the weatherman and I said, look, you're just wrong. Like 80% of the time, you know, what's your problem? And then he explained to me about this thing in New Mexico. That's where they get their weather from and, and the mountains. He was very gracious to his credit telling me about this. But I felt just this small calling him and telling him my my perspective, my problem, and why can't you get it right? And I, sometimes when you go through something like that and, and then you hear the, the backstory and they share a perspective that you didn't know about and you're thinking, oh, I didn't know that was a problem. I didn't know that was the situation. I didn't know. Today we're looking at a, a chapter that is rarely talked about in churches. This is so juicy, guys. It's rarely preached about. In fact, in my lifetime, I may have heard it in a service one time. Numbers chapter 16. It's a crazy chapter. It's a chapter where there's a revolt in, involved. It's unbelievable, and it's pretty scary. I mean, it's more scary than Freddy Krueger or Jason or whoever else is lurking in the shadows or whatever it is. It's more scary than all of that. It, there, there's something in this chapter that's just simply unbelievable. And it's all about someone's attitude towards spiritual authority. Someone's attitude towards spiritual authority it's Numbers chapter 16. And as a reminder, the book of Numbers really covers about 40 years when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They didn't go into the promised land. They explored it for 40 days, and then they chickened out and said, we can't beat the giants. And God said, fine, you're going to wander now for 40 days. So the book of Numbers is this in-between time between you know, the promised land at one point and then they, 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 they get cold feet and they can't go in and, and they're fearful and they doubt and, and they say, we can't do it. So they're on the way to the promised land, but it's 40 years down the road. So it's in the in-between of their life and God cares about the in-between of our life. Here it goes, guys. Numbers chapter 16, verse one. One day, Korah, everybody say 
oh, there it is. One day Korah, everybody say Korah with me. Can you do that? Korah, son of Izar, a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abiram, these two guys, the sons of Eliab and On, son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben, not, not related to me. Verse 2 says this, they incited a rebellion against Moses along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. Now, this is skill because Scripture says they incited a rebellion. And you know who they targeted? They targeted the VIPs, the influencers, 250 prominent people. It's like, I know that person, you know, has resources, and I know this person has resources. I know this person has position, and I'm going to target those people, and I'm going to use my relational skills to get these people to see what I'm seeing, and they incite a rebellion, and it's against Moses. And verse 3 says this, they united against Moses and Aaron said, and said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? Well, there's his, that, that's, the, that's the allegation right there that you see there. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? Think about this just for a little bit. We still think like this, don't you? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to speak into my life? What gives you the right to tell me my flaws? What gives you the right to say anything about me? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to tell me about my problem? Who do you think you are? We can have that same kind of Korah kind of attitude. Let's talk about Korah a little bit. I found a, this picture. This is a, uh, I thought this was an interesting picture because I could only imagine Moses and Aaron being surrounded by these guys. Uh, Korah, a Levite, Dathan, and Abraham um, also there. And, and the, you have these Kohath, the Korah is called, they're, called, they're from these Kohathites. And, and that's where they're at. They're Levites. And their responsibility is to carry the most holy things of the temple. So they set up and tear down church. That's what they do. And they set up, you know, the candles and everything, all the, all the furniture pieces inside the church. Their job is to take care of the church. That's what they do. And they, they recruit these 250 people. They incite a rebellion and they're united against Moses and Aaron. And the allegation is what right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? And they're... They're essentially claiming Moses and Aaron are unjustified in set, setting themselves over the people. And in fact, they believe that since the Lord made this covenant with the community of Israel, all of them are equally holy and capable of being leaders. Everyone. That's one of the strategies the enemy uses is, you know what? You can do a better job. You can do a better job. You can do it. Why, you know what? You, you should be the leader. You, can, you should be the boss. You should be, and, and you know what? You, deserve, you're so, you should be that person and that, that kind of thing. And that's what's happening here. And they neglected to point out that the Lord God himself is the one who appointed Moses to that position. You hear that? Moses didn't say, hey, I want to be the guy to lead the people out of, out, out of Egypt. He never said that. He didn't want the job. And I'll tell you what, pastors, true pastors, are called by God. True pastors are called by God. When we were in Amarillo, let me just tell you, the, 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 the land of Amarillo is a bit different from the land of uh, Thornton and North Denver. And it's just a little bit different. And I was driving away with the guys and, you know, we're used to our mountains and everything around them. It's a beautiful country. And I said, one thing about pastoring in Amarillo is anybody who pastors here has been called by God to be here. 
That's what you know. Because it's not really a, de- it's not really a destination, a vacation destination. It's not really one of those things, unless you grew up there. I mean, I, I, it's beautiful in its own way. If anybody's listening from Amarillo, it's a beautiful place. God bless you. Um, but, but you have to be called by God. And Moses and Aaron, they're called by God to be in this position. And believe me, there are many times when they don't want the job. Moses doesn't want the job. He's like, how do I get that other job where I just take, take care of my family and work on my retirement and work on my personal business? How do I get that job where I just work on my own personal life and I just make sure my grass is cut? How do I get that job? But God said, no, I want you to do this for me. And they incited a rebellion. Uh, Jacob Milgrone, I, I love the JPS Torah commentary. It's written by a, uh, a Jew. And uh, he said this, demoralized by the majority report of the scouts and condemned by their God to die in the wilderness, the people are psychologically receptive to demagogic appeals. Demagogic means trying to win support by exciting the emotions of ordinary people. Trying to win the support by exciting the emotions of ordinary people. The people are psychologically receptive to demagogic appeals to overthrow their leadership and return to Egypt. So you have to look at the timing of this. They're traveling in the wilderness. They're not in Southern California. They're not in Hawaii. They're in the wilderness and they're in, they're, everybody knows we're, we're here because we couldn't go into the promised land. And they're discouraged and they're dejected, they're not, morale is not like at all-time high. Moses, his approval rating is not like at an all-time high. People are like, how much longer when we're eating this manna, this bread in the morning, and, and this quail, and I'm so tired and with this sun, and, and I'm, I'm hungry, and I'm angry, and I'm frustrated, and things, and we should be there by now, and, and this is not a good thing. And Korah sees it, and takes advantage of the psychological condition of the people around him. You understand where we all have different places, and one of the times when you're most vulnerable is when you're frustrated and hot and hungry and worn out and exhausted and discouraged. Psychologically, you start thinking about stuff. Maybe I'm on the wrong road. Maybe I should be doing something else. And maybe I need to leave. And, and you know what? I'm not happy with this. And I'm dissatisfied with this. And psychologically, you're just not at a good place. And it's at this point that Korah speaks to them. When they're down at this place, and you got to hear this. This word demagogic means trying to win support by exciting the emotions of ordinary people. This is what Korah did. You can become spiritually vulnerable due to your psychological welfare, and our spiritual life can be impacted by our psychological life. We can make spiritual decisions because of the state of our psychological condition. Divisive people use demagogic appeals to win people over. Divisive people use demagogic appeals to win people over. Here's what it looks like. They use emotion to win you over. Did you hear that? They use emotion to win you over. It's just so bad. It's just so mean to me. I don't know what to do. It's just horrible. It's just terrible. And you see the emotion, and you know what you're thinking? It must be true. Because there's emotion, because there's tears, because they're loud and they're shouting or whatever it is. They, they, because there's emotion, it must be true. We shouldn't be here. Moses has led us out here and it was better in Egypt. This is wrong, guys. We deserve a better leader. We deserve better. They use emotion. And what they're trying to do is connect with your emotion. And if they can connect with your emotion and you gain empathy for their emotion, they can tell you the world is flat and you're nodding your head and you say, I agree. Because you're connecting with their emotion. Divisive people, divisive people use demagogic appeals to win people over. They're trying to win you over with their emotions. You are won over not by the facts, but by their emotion. 
And we make this assumption that lots of emotion must, must be in lots of truth. We make this connection. And that's what, that's what Korah is doing with the 250 people. He's using the emotion to win them over. And he's saying, incidentally, he says, you've gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord and he's with us all. You know, this is such a clever attack by Korah. He is speaking for the whole community of Israel. Nobody elected him to be in that position. Nobody told him, we want you to be our representative. He just comes against Moses and he speaks on behalf of everyone and he just shouts out and he says, you've gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by God and you've gone too far. Have you ever met someone who speaks for a lot of people? And then you ask them, well, you know, what are you talking about? And they say, well, people feel this way. And you say, what people? And say, I can't tell you what people. There's people that feel this way. Well, who? Well, I can't tell you what people. Well, is there one person? Is it your wife? Is that what we're talking about? Is, is this your dog? Who are we talking about? Is it, is it your husband? Is that who we're talking about? Are, are you taking a poll? Every, every, what people? And they say, I can't tell you. What they're doing is they're using leverage. They're using leverage and you cannot debate it because they just say there's people. There's just people. So it's up to your imagination whether this person represents 50 or 100 or 1,000, what do they represent? And, and you, you, de- these are people who are divisive. Korah was not elected to be the representative of the Israel community. He was not. All he had was an opinion. All he has. And then, you know, these people may, might say things like, people have told me this. Yeah, have you ever heard someone, people have told me this, and they're they like, okay, well, I, how do I know if that's true? I don't know if it's true or not. Others feel the same way. You ever heard that? Others feel the same way. I can't tell you who, but there are others. Feel like an episode from Lost or something. Jude chapter 1, verse 11 says this. This is in the Bible, in the New Testament. This is when, when Korah's talked about. Um, what sorrow awaits them, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, here it is, they perish in their rebellion. They're rebellious people. And you keep reading in Jude, it defines these people who were like Korah. These people are grumblers. These people are grumblers and complainers. Living only to satisfy their desires. There's always something for them to grumble about. There's always something for them to complain about. And it's very self-centered. It's focused on the satisfaction of their own desires. They brag loudly about themselves. And they flatter others to get what they want. That's who they are. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. Grumblers and complainers. That's what they do. It's really interesting when, 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 uh, when you know, we've been navigating this. You know, I've been working with Riley and, and you know, letting, you know, just processing. And the, honestly, the conversations with him have been amazing. <laughs> it's very Christ-centered conversation. There's a lot of healing that's already happening, and I see it. And uh, inside of me, I mean, I my heart is just dancing. And he's at a, you know, it's just beautiful. But did you know there's there's chorus around us? There's people who are watching and grumbling and complaining. I got an email from someone that was upset at me. I'm like, why are you upset at me? But that's just the way people are. That's the way people are. And where they hear about it, and, and it's really weird how we have this attraction to, to like the negative. It's very odd. That's our human nature. Or we hear about it, and then we pass it on to someone who's not even at Thorn Creek Church, but we want them to know about it. Hey, look what happened over here at the church. Look what happened over here at the church. Do you see that what happened? Riley was telling me like, I'm getting messages from people I don't even know. It's our human nature. It's our flesh. And incidentally, if you're one of those people, 
that pass it on to someone outside the church, here's what I want you to do. Pass on to them how much, how loving we are and how great this thing is going on and how wonderful and there's re- restoration and redemption and pass that along 10 times with the, favor, with, the, with the fervor that you did the first time. Exercise that muscle both ways. Have you ever had a Korah in your life? Korah incites 250 leaders against Moses, and verse 4 says this. When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. That's a spiritual leader. That's a spiritual leader. I can't tell you how many times I've heard lies. I've heard people speaking lies about me. And, you know, it's really weird when, you, when, 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 uh, when uh, there's lies that are spoken, the person that they're spoken to has no idea what's true. All they see is emotion. They rarely call me and say, hey, is this true? No, they don't do that. They just make conclusions. Rarely do that. But I pray. Fall face down on the ground. Verse 5 says, then he said to Korah and his followers, tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. The Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter his own presence. Korah, you and all your followers must prepare your incense burners. Light fires in them tomorrow and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites. Does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Korah, he's already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? The Lord is the one, listen to this, the Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? So eloquent. Moses is saying, look, you're you're all upset about this, but you you have your job that God has given you. Why can't you be content with what God has given you? And do with what God has given you. Do it with joy and peace and unity. Why do you want to do what God has called me to do? You're really not revolting against me. You're revolting against God. You're really not talking about me. You're talking about what God is doing. And and this right here is what makes spiritual leadership incredibly unique. Incredibly unique. Moses falls face down. Even if Korah was right, let's just pretend Korah is right. Let's pretend Korah has justification. Even if he, was, if he was right, this is the wrong way to approach the problem. It's the wrong way. A power play like this was the wrong way to remove a leader like Moses, God's leader. It was the wrong way to do it. The methods of Korah, his use of accusation, intimidation, and the gathering of a rival following revealed his rebellious, divisive heart. That was Korah. The right way to go about it, and Scripture teaches us, if and when something happens that you have a question about or you're not happy with, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go to the leader and talk to them and have a conversation with them. But you always respect and honor that leader, always Paul says it like this in Thessalonians. He said, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Something I have to do as well for those who are in spiritual leadership with me, above me as well. Um, and you keep reading this story. It says, then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the, uh, and the, these, are, these are Korah's buddies, the sons of Eliab, but they replied, we refuse to come before you. So Moses says, hey, can you guys come over here to my office? And they say, no, we don't want to go to your office. And then they, you hear this, isn't it enough? This is what they say. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt? A land flowing with milk and honey. Did you hear that? They're saying Egypt was a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in the wilderness 
and that you now treat us like your subjects. So you know what this says? They have no respect for Moses. And they have convinced themselves that Moses wants to harm them. They've convinced themselves that uh, Egypt is a land of milk and honey. And verse 14 says, what's more, you haven't brought us into, uh, into another land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool these men? We will not come. And isn't it interesting how when they refer to Egypt, they don't refer to Egypt as, as uh, slavery, making bricks and straw and all that craziness. They say it was a land of milk and honey. Now, I want you to hear this. Divisive people always color the past with their own brush. Always. They will tell you what so-and-so did, what so-and-so said, with their own brush. And it's always going to cater to their preferences. It's always going to make them look good. They're always going to be the victim or the hero all the time. They, they look at the past and they color the past with their own brush. I'm thinking Moses, when he heard this, he was like, really? Egypt, milk and honey? Well, why in the world did God want, want to free you? What's that whole language of freeing you? What was that about? Romans says this about divisive people. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. Incidentally, when you see divisive people and they talk about what happened, they talk about the why they're upset or, you know, Cora's talking about, you know, why did you lead us out here? Uh, they, they never say, I'm being divisive. They never say that. In fact, the reason that they give sounds typically on the front, it sounds noble. You know what? We should, we should have rights like Moses and Aaron. You know what? It wasn't that bad in Egypt. You're right. You know what? It was really nice having a roof over our head. You're right. It wasn't that bad. And, and you know what? We shouldn't be out here that long because we deserve better. And, and you know what? It has been. And the, typically, the reasoning sounds very noble. And that's what makes it attractive. And that's why, and that, that's why we, we, we buy into it. Um, let me ask you this question. Why didn't God put Korah and his friends in charge? I mean, they obviously know what to do. They obviously feel like they could be better leaders. Or why aren't, why aren't you the one in charge? Why? I love this, what this David Gusek, this Bible scholar said. He said, God rarely puts the Monday morning quarterbacks and the backseat drivers in positions of real leadership. Isn't that good? There's so much truth to that. So much truth to that. So much truth to that. I remember when I was in Colorado Springs and I was pastoring and, and I, I knew God wanted us to start a church. This was way back when. And I was, I think, I don't know if you remember this conversation, baby, with a baby. This, my wife is sitting in the audience just to make sure that's clear from the camera people who I'm talking to, those who are watching online. But I remember one of my pastor friends who I was serving with, I was telling him about how God has, has uh, you know, how, how, how a church should be and uh, I'm going to be a church planner and this kind of thing. And God has called me to start a church and this kind of thing. And, and, and he asked a really, you know, amazing question. He, he said, so, so why aren't you doing a church right now? Why aren't, you, uh, why aren't you a lead pastor right now? And, and at that point, all I had was a lot of opinions. But my character hadn't caught up yet. See, the character, the character is what matters the most. Just because you have opinions doesn't mean you're right. The character is everything. Character is everything. And when God looks at men and women, he looks at character. He, he wants to know, are you humble? Are you teachable? 
Are you surrendered? Have you died to yourself? Is that what your character looks like? When he sees character like that, then he can use you. But your opinions, your opinions does not qualify you to be a leader. It's your character. This is the economy of God's grace. This is the way God chooses leaders. He looks at characters. He doesn't look to see who's the loudest. He doesn't look to see who has the, the, who complains the most or grumbles the most. Not at all. Moses, verse 15 says, Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their grain offerings. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, and I've never heard a single one of them. So Moses is upset. Now he's telling God, God, don't accept their offerings. And Moses said to Korah, you and, your, you and all your followers must come here tomorrow and present yourself before the Lord. Aaron will also be here. You and each of your 250 followers must prepare an incense burner and put incense on it so you can all present them before the Lord. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. So each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit the fire and placed incense on it. Then they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. Verse 19. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Get away. Say, get away out loud with me. Say, get away. Get away from all these people so that I may instantly destroy destroy them. That word get away, that's a Levite word. You know what it means? It means stand back. It's the same word that you read in Leviticus that talks about this separation for the service of God. It's the same word. This idea of, of someone who consecrates themselves, who separates them for the service of God. But this time it's flipped. He's talking about separating them uh, because of the fate of the Israelites. So separate yourself from these people. They're negative people. They're chorus. Divisive people. Separate yourself. Verse 22 says this, but Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Oh God, they pleaded, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? This is a glimpse into the heart of a great man. Moses loves God. And even though he has 250 people that are rebellious, prominent leaders, Moses looks at all of them and says, God, have mercy on these 250 people who are stabbing me in the back. It's really one guy who's inside of this whole thing. Moses is interceding for the 250 people that want him dead. Two, he's, he's inter, it's, it's, it's amazing to me, guys. Oh, look at this. And here it is. Here's the famous passage, verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, then tell all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abiram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abraham. And then Dathan and Abraham came out and stood at the entrances of their tents, together with their wives and children and little ones. And Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done. For I've not done them on my own. Hallelujah. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. He had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. 
the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. Could you imagine the acoustics? I mean, the sound like an earthquake or something of the earth opening. I can hardly imagine it. It's only my imagination. I, uh, earth opening up and everyone falling into this and, and Korah and his buddies and their followers and the earth swallowing them up. Then the fire blazed from the Lord and burnt up the 250 men who were offering incense. Wow. Wow. Incredible, isn't it? God doesn't do this stuff today like this. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I'm glad. But there is a judgment for the chorus that one day will come. I want to give you five takeaways from Korah's rebellion. We'll go through this quickly. First thing is, don't be a Korah. It's worth, worse than being a Karen. I'll just tell you that. Don't be a Korah. It's way worse than being a Karen. Don't be a Korah. Be aware of what is motivating you to action. When you have, when you're dissatisfied, be aware of what is motivating you. A divisive and contentious person will never claim to be divisive and contentious. Never. Look at the ultimate goal of the agenda. Number two is this. Anyone can become deceived. There were 250 prominent men. You can be deceived. I can be deceived. Anyone can be deceived. You have to be aware of that. Number three is this. If you're going to hang with divisive people, keep an eye on the ground beneath you. <laughs> if you're going to run with them because they're your friends, just know there's going to be a consequence as well. And don't underestimate the power of your influence and your attitude because their children paid for their parents' sins, didn't they? They all died. They all died. Number four is this, always honor whomever God puts in leadership. It's good for your soul. Always honor them. I love the, the example of David and Saul, how David honored Saul, even though Saul chased him so many years. Number five is this, sometimes you need to intercede for your enemy. Sometimes God will say, I want you to pray for the one who's attacking you. And he's done that with me. And I still pray for those people. I'm grateful that there's not a lot, but the ones that are out there, they're just loud. They're just loud. And God, God tells me, Reuben, I want you to pray for him, for her, whatever. Just pray for them. And I pray. When you look at the rest of this chapter, Numbers chapter 16, verse 41 says, but the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against, again, muttering again, against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the Lord's people. Wow. So the next day, the Israelites are blaming Moses for the earth opening up and killing these 250 divisive people. It says a little bit about the human heart, doesn't it? The capacity of our hearts to, to hate and be angry and be divisive and all those things and and even the ability we have to reason through everything. Moses is saying, look, I'm God's man. You're not fighting against me. You're fighting against God. And, and I'm just trying to be obedient to God. I don't like this wilderness much either. But I'm trying to stay faithful in the wilderness. There's something incredibly powerful also that you see in this. And it's, there's incredible power in unity incredible power in unity. And Jesus said in Matthew, a house divided against itself will not stand. A marriage divided against itself will not stand. A church divided against itself will not stand. A business divided against itself will not stand. So when you look at this from a spiritual perspective, 
it's not surprising that the devil stirs up this guy named Korah and his whole agenda is to create division. That's his whole job. When you look at this story and you keep reading this chapter, after these guys say, Moses, we're upset at you. This is all your fault. Again, and they grumble and complain. God says, I'm done. And he sends a plague. And this plague literally starts killing people. And when the plague starts, Moses, he loves God. And he looks at people through the eyes of God. And he turns to Aaron and he tells Aaron, Aaron, quickly, start, start making sacrifices. Use the incense burner. Go around and pray for these people. We got to stop the plague. So Moses and Aaron are now interceding for the people who were trying to hurt them. And they start spreading this incense everywhere. And scripture says the plague stopped. Not because of the people's righteousness, not because they were right, but because of Moses and Aaron's faithfulness. But you know how many people died? 14,700 people died. 14,700 people died in that plague. 14,700 people. When I look at this, I look at Jesus. Jesus has shed his blood for us on that cross. And now we can experience the forgiveness of our sins. And scripture says the wrath of God was turned. It was satisfied because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, we deserve death. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can now all experience the forgiveness of our sins. Aren't you glad for the blood of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad for his grace? Because scripture makes it clear we were doomed to die. We were doomed to die because of our own sins. And yet God sends his only son, Jesus. He's the perfect, spotless lamb of God. And because of his sacrifice, the wrath of God is satisfied and actually turned. And no longer is it on us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture. That's what Jesus did. He interceded for you and for me and for all of humanity. That's what he did. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, for your grace. God, um, number 16 is so incredibly powerful, and I've done my best to share this word with, with the people here in person and watching online. And God, I just pray that you move in each heart according to your will. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to God. If you need to ask Jesus into your heart, would you say this? Say, Jesus, right now I ask you, to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Intercede for me. I deserve death, but I'm asking you, God, for life. To be my Savior, my Lord of my life. Others of you, maybe you have an attitude very similar to Korah. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Would you be honest with yourself for a moment? And would you repent of that? Scripture says that anyone who re repents, there will be times of refreshing for them. Maybe you've talked about someone behind their back. Maybe you've been part of a divisive spirit. Would you repent of that and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, God. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to trust you and, 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 and who you put in place and and I'm going to be a faithful servant of yours at work, at school, at home, at church, everywhere. I'm going, to, I'm going to live my life to please you, God. And I'm no longer going to be caught up into that divisive spirit. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for your mercy. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.